Now, I wonder if we could turn to um, 2 Samuel uh, chapter 11 tonight. We're going to read from verse 1 of uh, the chapter. 2 Samuel chapter 11, and beginning our reading at verse 1 of the chapter. 2 Samuel chapter 11, and beginning our reading at verse 1 of the chapter. And it came to pass after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him, and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon, and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. And it came to pass in an evening tide, even evening tide, that David arose from off his bed, and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her, and she came unto him, and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned unto her house. And the woman conceived and sent and told David, and said, I am with child. And David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. And when Uriah was come unto him, David demanded of him how Joab did, and how the people did, and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, Go down to thy house and wash thy feet. And Uriah departed out of the king's house, and there followed him a mess of meat from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord, and went not down to his house. And when they had told David, saying, Uriah went not down to, unto his house, David said unto Uriah, Camest thou not from thy journey? Why then didst thou not go down unto thine house? And Uriah said unto David, The ark and Israel and Judah abide in tents, and my lord Job and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open fields, Shall I then go into mine house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As thou livest and as thy soul liveth, I will not do this thing. And David said to Uriah, Tarry here today also and tomorrow, and I will let thee depart. So Uriah abode in Jerusalem that day and the morrow. And when David had called him, he did eat and, uh, and drink before him, and he made him drunk, and at evening went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord, but went not down to his house. And it came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter saying, Set ye Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retire ye from him that he may be smitten and die. And it came to pass when Joab observed the city that he assigned Uriah unto a place where he knew that valiant men were. And the men of the city went out and fought with Joab, and there fell some of the people of the servants of David, and Uriah the Hittite died also. Then said Joab, then Joab sent and told David all the things concerning the war, and charged the messenger, saying, When thou hast made an end of telling the matters of the war unto, David, uh, unto the king, and if so be that the king's wrath arise, 
And he say unto thee, Wherefore approached uh, ye so nigh unto the city when ye did fight, knew ye not that they would shoot from the wall, who wrote, Abimelech, the son of uh, Jerubesheth, uh, did not a woman cast a piece of a millstone upon him from the wall, and he died in Thebes? Why went ye nigh the wall? Then say thou, that thy servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Amen. We know the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his precious word to our hearts. We could have read the whole of the chapter, but uh, we'll stop there for the sake of time. What we, we, I wonder what you think of when you think of David. I'm sure that most people, when they think of King David, or David as he was at the time, will think of him in relationship to Goliath, David and Goliath. The two things go together. We are told that story when we were children in the Sunday school or in the children's meeting. And we think of how the young lad went out and defeated the Philistine champion uh, and how he won the day for the children of Israel. Or perhaps then the other thing that we might think of is David as the sweet psalmist of Israel. We think of him, how he composed so many of the psalms. He was an accomplished musician, and we think of him as composing so many of the songs that the people of God would have sung or prayed in some cases, and we think of the sweet psalmist of Israel. Or then we would think of David as the king, the mighty king of Israel, the one who brought greatness to his kingdom, and we think of the uh, way that God commanded David and gave him so many blessings. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, we read how uh, the, when Saul inquired after someone or, uh, to play for him, one of his courtiers sang or spoke the praises of David. He said, then answered one of the servants and said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehem that is cunning and plain, and a mighty valiant man, and a man of war, and prudent in matters, and a comely person, and the Lord is with him. The greatest thing, of course, that could be said of him was that the Lord was with him. He was a man after God's own heart. And we think of the blessings that came to David in his life. But here we read about a sad turning point in the life of this man. It's springtime, and springtime in the Bible is the new year. God had instituted at the time of the Passover, which would be the first month of the year for the children of Israel. And you can see that there in verse 1. The time of the year is defined for us after the year was expired at the time when kings go forth to battle. So it was the passing of an old year. The old year was expired, and now the new year was come. It was the time when kings went out to battle. Normally, the battles weren't fought in the winter in those days, uh, in the cold months, in the rains, when travel and campaigning were difficult. They would wait to the springtime and to the new year. And we find here David is going out to battle or David's army, anyway, is going out to battle in the new year. But what 
had a decline and a tension we find in the life of David. He goes down to uh, adultery and to sin and to backsliding. Oh, he should have been at the head of his troops. He should have been in the midst of the battle. But David is lagging behind and David is not doing what God wants him to do. And I want you to see that the Bible doesn't cover over the feelings of its heroes. It depicts its godly characters, warts and all. And it does so for our learning. And we find the accounts of many of these godly people and sometimes their failures. And we know that whatsoever things are written aforetime were written for our learning. And many times we come to this time of the year, we come to New Year, as David was here, and we're looking forward to the new year, and we're looking forward to encouragement and anticipation. But also at times, there needs to be a warning waved over the new year, because the new year, instead of bringing more zeal and resolution, could very easily bring carelessness, and carelessness could enter in where there ought to be zeal. So what I want us to do tonight is just to take David here in the new year, and we want to take the uh, admonition of this portion of Scripture as it is meant as a warning to the people of God as we go into a new year. So let's look at David in the new year. And I want you to see, first of all, there is a battle to be faced. Look at verse 1. And it came to pass after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him, and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon, and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. There was an enemy. There was an enemy come against them. But I want you to see the battle that David was engaged in. It was a constant battle. You'll see that he speaks about the time when kings go forth to battle. And that would imply that this happened every year. This was something that was constant. There was a constant battle. And if you read the uh, previous chapter, if you look up in uh, chapter 10, you will read about the battle that had taken place between uh, David and the children, the Ammonites and their allies, the Syrians. And the whole thing had started over a misunderstanding. Uh, Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, had died. David had heard about it, and he had sent some messengers to sympathize with Hanan, the new king. And some of the servants of the Ammonite king had felt that David was sending spies instead of sympathy, that these men were spies. And he humiliated David's servants and sent them back to him. And of course, that precipitated a whole war and a whole fighting. And the Ammonites and the Syrians had been defeated. But now that it had come to a new year, this war began again. It was a constant war. It was a war that was continuing on, even though David had won a mighty victory the year before, the Ammonites had uh, regained their force and their uh, might, and they had gone out to the battle again. And there was this constant warfare that was taking place. Of course, that's like our own lives. There's that constant battle against the world and the flesh and the devil. There are the external enemies of the world 
and the flesh or the, the world and the devil. But we think about that uh, inner battle that takes place, that battle against the flesh, our old sinful nature. And there are two rivals diametrically opposed to one another that live in our hearts. There is the, uh, there's no truce between them. There is the new nature, and then there is the flesh that is there still. And there's never a ceasefire. The passage in Romans chapter 7, Paul really describes this. And he writes it as a mature believer. And he speaks about the fact that there is this warfare that takes place. There is a, a will that's present in him. Uh, but how to perform, he says, I know not. And there are many things that he wants to do, and the flesh hinders him. And we know that that battle is taking place. The Christian life is a battle for holiness. It's a battle that's real and intense, an internal, spiritual, ongoing fight that is in the hearts of God's people. And Paul speaks about the ongoing struggle there in Romans chapter 7. And this is the experience of a mature believer. And I believe today that every Christian, every one of us, underestimates the spiritual warfare that we're in. I think the vast majority, if not all, of Christians in our land today are underestimating. Very many are unaware that there's a battle at all. Sometimes we let down our guard and the flesh comes in, but there are so many, and they are not fighting the flesh at all. But Paul's life demonstrates the constant battle that we are in. But not only is it a constant battle, but a challenging battle. You see, the Christian is in this battle against the world. The Christian must fight against the world. And there is a challenge, the subtle influences that are all around us. The influence, the daily battle against the attitudes of the world, the materialism of the world, the desire for good things in the world, this secret wish to do what the world does, to be accepted by the world in all things. We have to constantly battle against that. We think of what the Apostle James said in James 4 and 4, the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. First John 2, 15, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Or First John 5, 4, for whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. Uh, Paul exhorted in Romans 12 and 2, be not conformed to this world. And the world out there is certainly not a friend to grace. The world shows its hatred to God every day. And then there's the fight against the devil, that old enemy of mankind. And again, many are unaware of that constant battle that's taking place. The, he's an enemy that's never slumbering, never sleeping. He's always going about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's an unseen enemy, but he's always near us. He's never far away, not far from our path, from our bed, from our labors, night and day, seeking to cast down souls into hell, perhaps through superstition, 
uh, maybe by the suggestion of infidelity, by bringing thoughts into our minds. The Lord said to Peter, Peter, Satan hath desired thee that he might sift thee as wheat. And how many of us are sifted by the uh, ongoing uh, actions of the devil. But what a wonderful thing that the Lord added. But I've prayed for thee. And as we fight against the devil in this day and generation, thank God that we have the uh, Lord who prays for us. Do you remember what the Lord said when his disciples couldn't cast out the demon out of the land? This, he said, this kind goeth not forth, but by prayer and fasting. And sometimes we need to get to the place of prayer and fasting that we might defeat the works of the devil in this day and generation. It is a challenge. It's a constant battle. And it is a challenging battle that we're in. And we see the battle to be faced. But then look at the um, uh, backsliding to be faulted. Look at uh, the text again. And it came to pass after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Israel, uh, or children of Ammon, and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. And you can see that David is tarring behind. And then you see what happens if you look at verses 2 to 4. And it came to pass in an evening tide, that David rose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her. And she came in unto him, and he lay with her. So he descends now into awful adultery, and into awful sin. And I want you to see the path of backsliding here that is to be faulted. And you'll notice that the first step in his backsliding is really complacency. He stayed at home when he probably should have been in the battle. His army was sent out, and really what he was is complacent. He had won, he had won the battle the year before. He had defeated the Ammonites and the Syrians, and now he take us, takes it for granted that there's going to be a victory and that he needs not be in the midst of the battle, that his army, he can send Joab and he can send his army, and they're going to win the battle, and he doesn't need to be there. And there's this complacency. He is getting a little bit older. He's about 50 years of age by this uh, time. Perhaps he's not just as fit as he was, in days gone by, he felt he could take a, 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 an easy seat here and take it easy. But here is the first step on the road to backslide. And it's not a, uh, it's not a very long step or he doesn't go a, a big distance. You know, we could say, well, he was getting older and he is the king. and Maybe he can send out his general. And you know, very often, well, always, the path of backsliding starts with the first step. 
It might be only six inches or a foot or a couple of feet, but always every road starts with the first step. And you know, we can start taking our blessings for granted, and we can take the Lord for granted. And really, David was taking the Lord for granted here that the Lord would give him the victory, and the Lord was willing, uh, the, the Lord was going to give him the victory. But nevertheless, star- we need to watch complacency in the things of God. Something else, not only did complacency contribute to this backsliding path, but then prosperity contributed to the backsliding path. Now, David is having it good at this period of his life. He has won the battle in the year before, and uh, there was uh, recognition being brought from many kingdoms now, and he, the neighboring states were recognizing him, and he was getting immense wealth, and riches were flowing in from every ca- quarter into his capital. But in the midst of his prosperity, there was great danger. You know, God knows it's a dangerous thing for a man to prosper too long, because when we prosper too long, when we get it easy for too long, we begin to take the uh, prosperity that God gives to us for uh, granted. And we come to the conclusion, perhaps, that it will always continue and everything will be rosy in the garden. You know, the Lord at times sends us difficulties. And the Lord sends us difficult times because he knows that we can start to take our prosperity for granted. You, you think of the life of David, and when, when was he closer to the Lord? When he fought with Goliath, when he was fleeing from Saul, and when he had to hide in the, in the caves and in the rocks. Those were the, many of the Psalms were written at those times. And he, he was closer to God because he knew that the only one who could get him through these difficulties was the Lord, and he was relying on the strength of the Lord. And that's the theme of many of the Psalms that he writes. He knows that the Lord has his strength and his salvation. He knows that uh, the Lord was the strength of his life. And he knew that he needn't be afraid when he was trusting in the Lord. And God sometimes has to bring the difficulties in order to get us down on our knees that we might cry to him. Uh, If we are just in prosperity, we become cold and forgetful in prayer. Uh, But prosperity, he had had a long period when everything was going well and God had blessed him. It, It was that prosperity that was now going to lead to the path of backsliding. Another factor in David's backsliding was inactivity. It says that he tarried still at Jerusalem, and then it says, came to pass in an evening time that David rose from off his bed. Now, we know that in those countries, people would take a siesta and all the rest of it. But here he is, his his people, um, his army's out on the battlefield, they are out in the struggle, and David is lying on his bed. 
Now, there is a contrast there, and the Bible very clearly gives us the picture that there is. And you know what the old saying is, that the devil makes work, or makes, the devil makes work for idle hands. And that's what happened. There he is, he's on his bed, he's on the top of the roof of the house of the palace, he's inactive, and suddenly he sees this beautiful woman, and we think of all that took place then. You know, the Bible depicts the Christian life as an active life. You have the picture of a, a runner running the race, or a soldier in the midst of the battle, or a sower going out to, see, uh, to sow. The, the, the Lord wants us to be active. We think of so many that were chosen. Moses, or David himself, he was a shepherd, and looking after the sheep, and uh, fighting with a bear and a lion when God took him to be the king. Or you think of uh, Moses, who also was a shepherd, out in the Midian, the, the uh, pastures of Midian, when God called him. Or you think of um, the uh, uh, you think of Gideon, who was treading the wine press when God God calls busy people. He he looks for active people. And when we're not active, when we're not, it's often been said about backsliding. If you're not going forward, you're going back. And God wants us to be active. He wants us to be zealous. And you know, if we're not active in the things of God, then we are in great danger as we enter into this year of doing exactly the same as David did. Because the devil will use that. The devil will take us when our mind is not occupied in anything. He'll certainly fill our minds with what we shouldn't be doing. So we see a backsliding that is to be faulted. But one more thing that I want you to see, and that's a breakdown to be feared. Look at the words again in the passage. It says, And it came to pass in an evening time that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her, and she came in unto him, and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned unto her house. And I want you to see David's restlessness here. The word walked, if you look there, it says that he walked upon the roof of the king's house. And that's an interesting word, walked, because... Um, the word that is used here suggests uneasiness. It's an uneasy walk. Um, he, he knew that he wasn't where he ought to be. He wasn't doing what he should. There was an uneasiness about his demeanor. And I was talking to somebody uh, very recently there about uh, uh, backsliding, and we were just saying that the uh, backslider is never easy. True backslider is never easy in their position. There's an unhappiness, a dissatisfaction. And David knew that he was not where God wanted him to be. There's a restlessness. 
But then look at his recklessness. Now, we ask the question, is it possible for sin to raise uh, a life of usefulness in one moment of weakness? And we think of the case of David here, and he lived an exemplary uh, life before God until the sordid affair with Bathsheba. Now, this is one of the most embarrassing uh, pieces of Old Testament history, and you'll notice that the Bible just gives the fact there, it doesn't go, it's an unalloyed account um, of, of adultery and murder and treachery. Um, frankly, we'd prefer not to discuss it. And uh, as we say, the, the Bible just gives you the facts. It doesn't go behind the scenes in any way. Um, but it does give us the whole sorry affair that we might learn it from it. But Here's the rub. David does destroy his testimony in a moment of time. You, you, you think of the dark shadow that comes across his life. You think of the uh, chronicler who keeps the chronicles and the records of the kings. And in 1 Kings 15, he speaks about David and he says, David did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord and turned not aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, save only in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. There's the blot. There's the blot. A dark blot. A defining moment in his life. And we think of what he did, and we, we are not going to elaborate on it, but it's interesting just to read the narrative and the way that it's just a straightforward account that is given. But you'll notice what David was told. It says in verse 3 that when David said and inquired after the woman, it says, One said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Now that should have stopped him there, right there. He knew the commandments that he shouldn't commit adultery, that he shouldn't covet his neighbor's wife. It should have stopped him right there. But no doubt David was justifying himself, thinking away, and that's what we do. We try to justify it. Oh, his, his hus her husband's away in the battle. Nobody will ever know. Nobody will ever know what has taken place. And here he is, and he goes in rebellion against God. But you know what the Bible says? Be sure your sin will find you out. And look at verse 5. And the woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I'm with child. He's found out. Her husband's away from home, but the evidence of the adultery is there. And it's often been said that sin will take you further than you want to go. And you can see that in the life of this man here. And you'll notice, not only do we have David's recklessness, but his rebelliousness now. He goes now in complete rebellion against God. Uh, James 1, verses 13 to 15, gives the principle that sin is not a, just a one-off event. It's part of a process. Sin has a domino effect. It will always multiply. 
And sin, desire leads to sin, and sin leads to death. In other words, there are consequences. And first of all, David lies. Uh, he, he resorts to lies and deception. And look at verses 16 to 18. It says, And David sent to Job, saying, Sent me Uriah the Hittite, and Job sent Uriah to David. And when Uriah was come unto him, David demanded of him how Job did, and how the people did, and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, Go down to thy house, and wash thy feet. And Uriah departed the king's house, and there followed him a mess of meat from the king. And David wanted to bring, of course, the circumstances where Uriah went down to his house and was with his wife, and then perhaps the whole situation would be covered over. Uriah would think that the child was his, but it doesn't work. And Uriah doesn't go down to his house. And so it goes further, and David writes this letter. If you look at verse 15 and 16, and he wrote in the letter saying, Set ye Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle, and re retire ye from him, that he may be smitten and die. And it came to pass, when Job observed the, the city, that he assigned Uriah unto the place where he knew that the valiant men were, and that worked to treat, and Uriah is slain in the midst of the battle. And that enables David to marry Bathsheba, and Job, he thought, could be relied upon to keep quiet, and he thought, well, this is a, a foolproof plan. Nobody will ever find out. Nobody will know. But God knew. God knew. Look at verse 27. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. And, you know, we think we can cover over, but the Lord knows. And the thing that we do displeases the Lord. And that creates havoc in David's life. And for the rest of his life, he reaps the consequences of this sin. Now, what has he done? He's committed adultery. He has murdered. And he has brought about death. And you think of the rest of his life and the turmoil and the trouble that comes to him. First of all, the little child that had been conceived dies, and that brings trouble to his life. And then you think about uh, Amnon, his son. What does he do? He commits sexual sin with his sister Tamar. Now, maybe he justified himself in his sin, well, look at my father. He did something like that. He did something like that. And then we read that Absalom murders Amnon. And again, maybe Absalom says to himself, well, look at what my father did. He had Uriah the Hittite put to death. And the path of the backslider is certainly not a prosperous one. And it brings about consequences. And we need to stay away from the path of backsliding. We need to make sure that complacency and inactivity and, uh, 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 well, we can't 
help if there's prosperity in our lives, and we want prosperity. But if there is prosperity in your life, then you need to guard because we need to make sure that we're depending upon our God day by day. Oh, what a new year it was for King David that year. And it was a warning to each and every one of us. And may we heed the warning as we look at what God's Word has to say to us this evening. May God write his word upon our hearts for his name's sake. Let's just unite together, please, at the throne of grace and do remember uh, the meetings as they continue. We are uh, preaching our motto text on the Lord's Day morning and then our communion, of course, and then for um, the um, New Year conference and Dr. Douglas and that the Lord will bless the Lord's servant as he comes to preach the word on the Lord's day. So do remember that, and just we can pray for the incoming year, that it might be a year of, of blessing and a year when we see uh, prayers answered in the salvation of the lost and the bringing of many to know the Lord and the uh, going forward of the work and witness here in this corner of the vineyard. And as the Lord leads tonight... Let's just unite together in the place of prayer. Our loving God and our gracious Father, we come to Thee in our Saviour's name, and we do thank Thee tonight for uh, the uh, warning that we have been given in Thy precious Word. We think of David here, and such a, a good man, and a, a, a sensible man, and a mature man, and yet, Lord, then, just in a moment of time, a moment of recklessness, he succumbs. And we recognize our own hearts. And we think of what Paul said, Let him that thinketh he standeth, take heed lest he fall. So our God, we pray that thou wast uh, give the warning and impressed upon our hearts this evening. And bless thy word to our hearts for thy name's sake. And we pray, Lord, that thou wast be with us. Bless all of these meetings that we have mentioned and we have brought before thee in prayer already. We pray that thou wouldst continue to work and bless, and we'd ask thee that we might go forward with the Lord in these incoming days. May we see God step in in answer to prayer. Bless in, in not only the minister's week of prayer, but also in our own week of prayer in a couple of weeks' time. O oh God, we pray that thou wouldst pour out the spirit of supplication, and Lord, we do rejoice in the number of folks that have come to these uh, meetings at the week of prayer in past years, and we'd ask that it will be something similar this year or even better, and we pray that thou wouldst work in the hearts of God's people and help us to be instant in prayer and seeking the face of God uh, for these incoming days. Bless us now and help us even in the place of prayer, for it's in Jesus' precious name that we'd ask these things. Amen. Amen.